Many of you will remember the old Saturday Night Live skit called The Coneheads, portrayed by Dan Aykroyd and Jane Curtin. Every Conehead sketch revolved around basically the same shtick, the funny way in which they talked. Because they were from outer space, they did not know, for example, what an Eggo waffle was. So instead, they referred to it as a reconstituted starch disk. Or they called yogurt coagulated bovine lactate. Now, when you think about it, the humor in the cone heads is really just a more transparently obvious example of what all comedy is. All humor is based on the idea of metaphysical collapse, meaning that the comedian's role is to focus a cold, jaundiced eye on the world and on human behavior and describe it in the most clinical, unsentimental terms. In other words, to strip away all of the meaning that humans conventionally attach to the things in our lives. Because doing this can make the most important, majestic, and beautiful things in life seem absurd, mundane, or bizarre. And that's what we consider funny, making us look at things that are in a totally different perspective. It's reductio ad absurdum. One of the earliest examples that we have of this in ancient history is the famous comedic play, The Clouds by Aristophanes. In it, he made fun of Socrates', Socrates desire to examine and understand the natural world around him. Now, Socrates was the founder of Western rationalism. We regard his desire to understand the world as a noble quest the foundation of the scientific method. But in the clouds, what's portrayed is a grown man chasing after insects so that he can see how their butts work. Socrates' noble desire for knowledge is made to seem comedic, to be absurd. That's why all of the things connected to romance and sex and marriage are such a goldmine for comedians and sitcoms because they can deflate all of the rituals and pretensions and lofty sentiments that surround human love and grind them into jokes. When you stand askance from human love, everything beautiful about humanity can be made to seem comical. Today, the church has us celebrate the feast of Corpus Christi because she wants us to regard the great mystery of the real presence. Now, of course, we experience the real presence at every Mass, or even any time we are in a church where the Blessed Sacrament is reserved in the tabernacle. But today, the Church wants us to specifically focus in on this mystery that our Lord comes to us truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. Of course, some people, either because they follow some other form of Christianity or some other religion, or perhaps no religion at all, will deride the church for making this outrageous claim that we truly have our Lord's body and blood completely and fully present to us when we receive the Eucharist. And as Catholics, we should agree that it is something of an outrageous claim, but one that is made very clearly by Jesus Christ himself in the Gospels. And so on the one hand, you will have people who perhaps have no faith at all that try to have a comedic field day with the concept of the real presence. They will say, how absurd it is that a man who calls himself a priest 
will come out here in a fancy shift and say some arcane prayers over some pieces of bread and a cup of wine and poof, Jesus Christ is present from 2,000 years ago. Except that you can't see him because everything still looks like bread and wine. To these types of people, any kind of transcendent belief that suggests that anything can be more than it, than it appears to be or that anything can be imbued with a greater significance than nature seems to give it is considered absurd. Edmund Burke said of this kind of worldview, on this scheme of things, a king is but a man, a queen is but a woman, a woman is but an animal, and an animal not of the highest order. But the opposite problem, and unfortunately we often experience this line of attack from fellow Christians who do not accept the concept of the real presence. It's a tendency to spiritualize the Eucharist in the wrong way, to run in the opposite metaphysical direction, to spiritualize it in such a way that it is given some kind of transcendent spiritual significance, but not the real bodily presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this ignores the very clear, direct, and earthy words of our Savior. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. And while, of course, the miracle of transubstantiation in the Eucharist is a spiritual reality, it's not one that we can ordinarily observe with our senses, it is not any less a physical reality as well. We have our Lord's word on that. He told his disciples, if you can't believe that you are truly going to eat my flesh and drink my blood, go elsewhere. Because just as easily you won't believe that I actually rose from the grave and ascended to the Father. When we approach the altar, we are truly receiving Christ's body and blood. The danger of spiritualizing the Eucharist in the wrong direction, as I spoke of, is that we downplay the true immediate presence of Christ in the forms of bread and wine. And that ultimately breeds a kind of spiritual indifference in us. If we think of the real presence as merely one more form of God's grace, or merely as a sign of a quote-unquote deeper spiritual encounter with Jesus, then the Eucharist is paradoxically stripped of its genuine spiritual magnitude as the real body and blood of our Lord. So ask yourself, in receiving Holy Communion, am I conducting myself in a way that really reflects this immense reality? Am I really receiving my Lord with the same reverence and awe, both interior and exterior, that I would if Jesus were to appear to me in his visible flesh? And am I always keeping in mind that the Eucharist, as St. Paul says, is truly our participation in the body and blood of our Lord, sacrificed for us on the cross? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.